and thank you for joining us for the first episode of the One More Mistake podcast. This is your host, Elizabeth Wagner. I'd like to welcome you to my first guest, Nia Malo. She's my grandmother, and I could not have picked a better person to interview for my first episode. I will preface this saying this is an emotional episode because this podcast is about life and death and reflecting on the life you've lived and the life that you want to live in the future. We all have one thing in common, and that is we will eventually meet our impending doom. Nia Malo has lived a full life, and she fully understands the implications that life on Earth is limited. Join us as she gives advice on what she spent more time on and what she encourages others to spend more time on. And without further ado, if you could relive any moment in your life, where would you go? When my husband gave me my engagement ring. And to go off of that, when do you know, like, when did you know you were ready to marry? Or when do you think someone else is ready to, like, marry? I think I was much more ready to marry because of the experiences I'd had being an army brat. <laughs> and much more mature than most of the girls my age. At 18, I was ready to be married to this particular person. But I would never have considered it with anyone else at that age. Mm -hmm. And what's one piece of advice you would tell your past self? And what, or what, and also like to go off of that, what a piece of advice would you give to anyone else? Make the most of the time you have with your husband, mm -hmm. especially as they get older. What's the most valuable item in your home that is worth less than a dollar? Probably one of my dishes in the kitchen that I've had since I was a teenager. Okay. Wait, like, uh, it's, it's actually a little teapot. What's the most memorable person you've met in your life? I think you are. Really? Yes. You have so many facets and you explore so many facets in your life. And most people are one-timers. They either like their work or they have a hobby. But you are much more diversified. Thank you. That was a surprise. Wasn't that was it? very surprised. <laughs> I was like, there are so many people you could have picked from that. Nope, nobody more than you. What do you need right now to make everything better? Actually, I just came from a luncheon, mm -hmm. uh, and I wasn't—I'd forgotten about it. And when my friend called and she said, "Naoma, you can't forget it. Get as you are and come and see me." have lunch with us mm -hmm. that is memorable mm -hmm. uh and that's the way so many of my friends treat me i don't know if that's the question you're going mm -hmm. to ask but uh when people fill my life with time with me it means a lot to me mm -hmm. and i have many grandchildren and children that do that so i'm not hurting in any way that's great what is something you've done this year that you never thought you'd do? Coming up on the end of the year now. Well, the stupidest thing I've done this year is when I had a leak in the gas tank of my car <laughs> and I didn't take it real seriously. <laughs> and today my car's in a shop having the gas tank replaced. And I was shocked to find out it's just plastic. <laughs> You bummed something. <laughs> What's something memorable? Or, or something that that's you, memorable. That's how memorable, that's right. That's stupid I was. <laughs> of all the things, that's the one you got out of it? Yes. <laughs> when I woke up night before last, 
with fumes all in my house oh, and thinking my. how stupid I was not to have done something about it before. Well, did you know earlier that it happened? I had never had fumes, gas fumes in my house before. Okay. And I was almost overtaken by them. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, because I came in through the... I haven't been here since you no. brought that up, and I came in the garage after the car's not even in here anymore. And I was like, what is this? I thought it was like perfume, like you emptied out an entire air freshener yeah. bottle. And I was like, it, but I get it, that it was like an alcohol smell, but you no, know, gasoline definitely, as soon as you told me that, um, oh, that was poured, strong. We, I poured a lot of stuff on it trying to get, <laughs> get rid of it. Um, all right, what is one thing you want to do, like, before you die? What's one thing that you really want to do? I don't have much in that bag. I've done just about everything I can think of doing. I just want to make sure that everything is right with all my children in emotions and in that they're ready for me to die. Okay. Um, at what moment did you realize that you, you, were like, you looked at Grandpa and you are like, I was going to marry this person? How early was it? We met in January, in February. And we dated for until the first of June, mm -hmm. and I suspected by that time that I was that would be my husband. Oh, so within like six months, yes. you knew it. Four months. Four months. That's right. Wow. All right. And do you have a favorite song? Oh, I love all of the church music. Mm -hmm. Do you like the hymns? The hymns. I sing mm -hmm. in the choir. Used to play the piano. I love any any church music. The other music I like are country western. Mm -hmm. We used to dance to country western. What's your favorite way to, sp to spread positivity? Smiling. Smiling? That's a good one. It's very the easy. The second favorite way is to invite even strangers to my home to <laughs> eat with us. I, you do that often. Is there anything you would change about yourself? Yes. If there were a way to decrease my caboose, I would be happy. <laughs> well, I mean... if. I think you aren't you are you always squatting whenever you're in the the garden or no I sit more than I squat <laughs> I sit on a, a lawn buddy okay but hey that's helpful oh yes that's why I don't have any more knee trouble <laughs> yeah weren't you always using your knees on the knee pads I was off always there? on my knees I used to pray at the church on my knees, but I don't mm -hmm. do that anymore because when one of them is metal, you don't pray on it. <laughs> oh, when you're in a bad mood, do you like to be left alone or do you like people around you? It depends on what caused the bad move. Mood. Mm, that's, that's, I think that's the same for me too. And for most people, if you're upset by someone, you just want to be left alone. But if you're sad about, I don't know, anything that went on that's not around people, I think it's best to get your mind off of it. Right. If, is what you're doing now, what you used to do, what you wanted to do, Growing up? I never thought about being this old. I always thought that my husband and I would live together forever. What about your job? Like in this house? Is this what you wanted when you were growing up? Never even dreamed of, of those things. I came straight out of a, a military life with my parents when we lived in housing, public housing for the military, and a, a house trailer so we could stay with Daddy. Mother and Daddy were so close. Uh, and when we married, we were in a little apartment. And every time I'd open the door on the gas stove, I could smell gas. And I was afraid of my stove. And then we moved. So we bought a brand new little trailer. 
and we were happy until we built a brand new house in in, in uh, Georgia. Wait, you were in Georgia? We moved from Richmond, Virginia to Indianapolis, Indiana, and my husband worked for Crossroads Rehabilitation Center, which mm -hmm. was mostly t taking care of children. And then he had an, off an offer to go to Thomasville, Georgia, which is just above Tallahassee. And uh, he was to be head physical therapist. And when he got there, he found out he was the physical therapist. <laughs> and we lived there. Oh, till 1960, when we moved to Florence. Mm -hmm. So what was your question? <laughs> well, I was asking you um, we built, where you were We Georgia. built a lovely home there. Mm -hmm. Then we came here and rented a little while, and then we built another very adequate home, and then we had, Don had the um, man commissioned to design this house on this lot. And this oh, is, you built this. And this is a dream home. Yeah. There, this is a one of the kind. Nobody else has this. No, she went to go take a phone call, but when she got back, I asked her about a very small bottle of hand sanitizer that seems like it's been there for a while. And this was the story she had to say. A, motel we, a hotel we stayed in in Kansas, and I brought it back, and it was back in my cabinet for a number of years. And months ago... I looked at it and I thought it says, I thought it said, Peral, mm -hmm. which is a shampoo. Mm -hmm. And I shampooed my hair with it. <laughs> and that's not a good idea. No, it's so tiny. <laughs> that much, that much ruined my hair for I'm six sure months. It, I'm sure it did. It probably stripped it of every oil. It did. And nothing Oh, it looked like a haystack. You remember telling me about this. And poor Junior. <laughs> Once I I had a cut two or three times, and he said, I sure am glad you had your hair cut. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think I saw it when that happened. Yes. I would have gotten something for your hair then. Oh, I did. You did. I went to the beautician, and I got <gasps> this moisturizer, uh -huh. and I rubbed it in, you know. Then I'd shampoo and I'd use the shampoo with moisturizer and the moisturizer with moisturizer. <laughs> and it's almost back to normal, but the curl didn't come back quite like it was. Uh -huh. mm, so that's, is that a piece of advice? Don't, don't shampoo your hair with Purell hand sanitizer. <laughs> oh my goodness. Are you a confrontational person? Like if you have a problem with someone, do you comfort them or do you um, let it go very much because you don't like that confrontation. I meet confrontation head on okay. if I discover it. I very seldom am confronted with anything important. Usually I set the mood of a conversation mm -hmm. and um, very little confrontation. My husband and I never had confrontation. Mm -hmm. I remember my mom telling me that she didn't know in a relationship how to, when there was an issue, how to talk to each other uh, effectively or, you know, helpfully. Well, David told me that right after he was married the first, uh, well, his only time. He said, we had, how did you and daddy never have confrontations? Because I know you never fought, you never, like, had disagreements in front of your kids. No. We didn't have them behind her. Oh, kids. really? No. Y'all just got along. <laughs> Perfect marriage. From 18? My goodness. He was 21. 
Okay. I was a girl. He was a man. Yeah. But we married that that young age because I had an option. I could either go to Germany and live with my family, or Austria or Germany and live with my family for three years and go to college. Daddy offered me furs, jewelry, and whatever he thought I would would like, bangles and baubles. And I knew that Don wanted to go to medical school. He had four years in accounting at USC, and he was going to move to Virginia, and he had didn't have the funds. Mm-hmm. So he worked his way through college. So we both worked and put him through medical school, and we didn't owe a penny when he finished. Mm-hmm. So did you end up having to move to be with him during that time, or were you... My family moved to Germany, and I got married in South Carolina. We went straight up to Virginia, got us a place <laughs> to live, and started working. Good bad. Did you ever write in a journal, ever? Uh, oh, I have a journal. You I'll have let you them. Re- I have one that you can use. Oh, I mean, like, did you ever journal? Did you ever keep them? Yes. You did? Yes. I, well, I have no idea about this. I have a number of journals. I I remember journaling when I was a kid, and I know you remember this, but I ended up burning all of them because, um, I mean, it's just, I guess, a release, because yeah. I read them later on when we were cleaning mm-hmm. out the house to move, and it was just really sad and depressing, yes. <laughs> which it was a really bad moment in my life up until turn, I would... Turn that off a minute. Let's okay. go look. Let's go. So she took me to her bedroom, and on her husband's side, she brought out a small journal. Yeah, so you had, you had plenty of journals. <laughs> Yes, I have plenty of journals. And now I'm going to have to read this one, because this is the one you would, that y'all did at night. No, I did that in the daytime, too. Okay, okay. That, that, did, that journal was completely written on one sailboat trip to the Bahamas. Wait, oh. But tell me more about, like, your, your sailboating. What got you into it? My husband had almost no experience with anything in the way of fun and games he was very serious he he has he was he'd lost two-thirds of his hearing before he was in high school so he didn't hear much he mostly lip read and when we were in medical college of virginia he was chosen by a Chinese man and the professor to be the first person to try out something that would increase his hearing mm-hmm. because he had been mistreated as a child by ignorant parents. And what, what year do you think this was? Around what year? When he had the treatment? Mm-hmm. He was 22. Okay. We'd been married a year. And the professor and this Chinese man came and he said, I have an experiment. It is to take acid on the tip of this tool and put it on the edges where your your eardrum used to be. Mm-hmm. And I need to do it on a regular basis because it will it is supposed to promote growth. Mm-hmm. And he finally healed both ears. Wow. Now it wasn't a real eardrum. It was it was a skin, but not like an eardrum would have been. It's almost like the it promoted like oh we don't have an eardrum here, but there's damage and we need to repair it. And so he he did use that and it improved it greatly improved his grades mm-hmm. because 
in medical school, they would sit in an auditorium on bleachers, and the professor would give the address, mm-hmm. and he lit, he was a lip reader. And he was probably very far away. And I couldn't see him, and by the, and she also was from a foreign country. Mm. <laughs> so that was a challenge. But he made good grades and graduated fine. And then when we arrived here, there was a doctor in 1962 or three. No, no, no. In in the early late late sixties, that said that they had now a special kind of hearing aid that would take care of the type of hearing loss he had, and so he he uh, did something to him, and then in the long run, he had hearing aids and was able to hear much better. Mm-hmm. Um, that's all about his hearing. But with the sailboat. And so on on the sailboat, because of not having eardrums in good shape, he, he was a scuba diver too. Mm-hmm. And he would dive and bust his eardrums. And then they would grow back. He would die and burst his eardrums. And they would grow back. Uh, but I was go. Oh, let's go back to Thomasville, Georgia, where we were. And he loved the water sports. So we saved up and we bought this real wonderful little ski boat, black and white, all plywood, beautiful thing. And I would drive the boat with my baby up under, in a, up under the front end of it, in a life jacket. And he would ski, and he was a wonderful skier. In fact, one time we went to a special Magnolia Gardens down there in Florida, and my daddy was driving the boat. He was skiing. We got permission to go into it. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, I heard over the loudspeaker, the ski show has not started yet. He was out there doing all these ski trips. <gasps> he was a wonderful skier. So he loved the boat. He loved water. And then in 1978, he and, well, he dived on the city of Richmond, and they confiscated all of the materials off the city of Richmond that was of any value. It was a boat that was carrying the entire contents of a hardware store (laughs) down to the islands, Uh and it went down in a hurricane Mm -hmm. off the coast of South Carolina. And they rescued all the metal off the boat and sold it. And they did, he and a team, they were called the Neptune Devils. (laughs) (laughs) They did all of that. And uh, so we have a lot of treasures that came off of that boat. I hadn't heard of that one before. You what? I didn't know he scuba dived like that. Oh, yes. Yes. And that's why we went to the Bahamas, because he and his friends had been going to the Bahamas and... They'd fly over, and they'd rent a boat, and they would dive, and then they would Mm -hmm. fly back. So from 1980 to 1990, we would go about once a year to to the Bahamas uh, for a week or so. Mm -hmm. It was six days down, six days back, and six days over there. And then he also made a trip to Bermuda with three guys, and... uh, that was almost a mistake, but he, he, he survived. They did all right. 
And then in the 90s, when we both were retired, we would spend a full month in the Bahamas, go down the waterway, go to the Bahamas, stay there, come back. That's when we started doing uh, ham radio mm -hmm. because it was our line of communication. And we did that all the way through the 90s. And you still in the morning do the ham radio? Uh, yes, I still am on ham radio with Waterway Radio and Cruising Club every Saturday morning. Mm -hmm. What were some of your, like, the best stories you have? Because I know there's so many things where, where my mom was in the Hamas with y'all and y'all got the Challenger pieces that whenever it exploded, y'all found it on shore and then NASA came and try to take them <laughs> that was his that was his best story mm -hmm. when the government came and offered to put him in jail and confiscate the pieces of the the actually identified identifiable pieces which the largest one was probably three feet in diameter mm -hmm. and that's when he would go and he wasn't just like he took it and he just wanted it, it was just, he used it as educational he would go to schools and he would tell people about it oh yes he took the pieces, and he still did that afterwards. With yes. my school, he would come, and then I would, you know, try to carry on the tradition of it. He loved children, and he liked to, he liked education mm -hmm. very much. And so when we were rock hounds in the 90s also, we went to Colorado one th month a year in the 90s. When we were rock hounds, he would identify his rocks and take them to school. And when people wouldn't know about, <coughs> about sailing... He would uh, give stories, actual stories of trips. We had a lot of stories of trips, <laughs> <laughs> all kinds of trips, especially the one when the Haitians in their little fishing boat tried to overtake us. I've heard about that. And that was, that was the most scary time because he had uh, the right equipment to have taken them all out, yeah, and would have if they'd crossed my bow one more time. Yeah, um, I have seen lots of videos online of people who are out in foreign waters and they'll have their sailboat and they have like security and they have like sensors to let them know. But it, it's it sounds horrifying because they try and steal your dinghy a lot of the times. Didn't have any. This is the only time we ever had any problem. We usually went all three of us in mm -hmm. the same time. We had one person with a power boat and two of us with sailboats. Mm -hmm. And we that was the first time we'd ever been across that much water that we had didn't have somebody else with us. Mm -hmm. After that time, every time we went down, I would fly back and some friends of his would fly down and they would bring the boat back. Okay. So he was able to sh share his sailing experience with, with all of them. Do you have anything on your bucket list this year? So for the next year, like, do you have anything that you're like, I want to do? If I could go on a trip... With family members or another couple, I'd like to take another cruise. Oh, okay. I I know that when all this ends, we should go down to New Orleans again. Yes. And we've been meaning to, but just one thing came up after another. And and I have wonderful friends down in New Orleans. That the whole experience with all the Vietnamese is another whole lifetime. I mean, we've been meaning to for at least the past two years, but it's just been harder. Well, I've told them that you, with you in school, we can't do anything because uh, Susan's married now. Yeah. And she wasn't married at that time. Yes. And uh, the three of us could go down and we could we could have a ball. 
We, we are, yeah, we could. It would just be the girls. And they didn't have, they didn't have any of the, um, what is it they had for Chinese New Year? Vietnamese New Year? Yes, Vietnamese. They didn't have the carnival. They don't have the carnival this year. Yeah, but next year it will be, but that's just too long. We need to go up there during the summer. I'm here. Oh, what were some qualities that you admired about your parents? Honesty. Cleanliness. Friendliness. They demanded that people that that they chose to be their friends had the same qualities. Mm -hmm. They would do anything for anyone that was legal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that was legal. <laughs> well, the good friends are the ones that will do the legal things for you. <laughs> Um, Daddy respected his mother so much that he, we had her with us when we went to Guam. Mm -hmm. and we had her with us. Uh, his daddy died in 1945, and through the 40s and early 50s, uh, his mom did several trips with us or lived with us and, uh, in the trailer. Mm -hmm. And in Guam, we had a house, but um, he had tremendous respect for her. Anytime he took her anywhere, she sat in the front seat and mother and the kids sat in mm -hmm. the back seat. Uh, he had a great respect. In fact, he did a lot of counseling for people who had mixed marriages where they had married women from other countries. And there would be differences of opinions among their families. Mm -hmm. And he would he was not a counselor per se, but he was an excuse for an, a counselor, and they would come to him for, the, the women would come to him crying, he's going to leave me, and blah, blah. And uh, he would call in, the because of his rank, he'd call in the husband and try to help him work it out. Mm -hmm. He always cared deeply for women and their rights. Really? I, hadn't, I had not known about any of that. Yes, he, all, all of his life, all mm. of his life, always. Mm. He loved his little girls, <laughs> both of us. So, because uh, I know you came out three boys, and then finally you had a girl. I did. Yeah. They had two girls and a boy. Wait, who did? My mother and daddy. Oh, yes. I mean, you said, uh, you said Grandpa had always tried to help people, or was, mm -hmm. yeah, um, what was it? Was he very excited when he finally found out you were having a girl? I don't really. I know she, she was. She was an oops. <laughs> well, uh, they looked forward to her, mm -hmm. and we didn't know she was going to be a girl until she was born. Oh, okay. So, uh, mother was right here with me. Mm -hmm. she, her her deal was: I do the dirty work, and you enjoy your baby. And she would be the one rubbing, the, doing the diapers, cooking the meals, mm -hmm. like a maid. That's what my mom, I think, would do right now for yes. me. <laughs> <laughs> I think so, too. Oh, what's your biggest pet peeve? What do you, how do you identify peeve? It's something that just annoys you. Something, whether you like someone who's just dishonest, you're like, I don't like that. I really have very few confrontations with anyone about anything. Mm -hmm. So I don't even know what my pet peeve would be. I, Nothing bothers I'm you. I'm disgusted with people who smoke mm -hmm. or drink too much, mm -hmm. uh, and especially with people who use drugs. Yeah, I don't have any patience for any of them. 
because they're rooted in their bodies. Yeah. And, and I mean, I, and also, at least from our experience that we've had, and I can only speak for my own, is those things have affected my life negatively. Yeah. Always. And it, I mean, I would say it's a whole family affair. Yes. And I mean, I, I don't know your own experience in that. I can only speak oh. for my own. Many, many times I cried myself to sleep because of your earthly daddy. Yeah. You and I both at that point. Um, but, I mean, I'm sure anyone who's ever had someone who's ever relied on whether it, on a substance. My daddy was one of 11 children. None of his brothers and sisters ever smoked or drank beer. Mm-hmm. I have an actual report from my grandmother. I read it on one of her papers that she wrote. This is my daddy's mother, my maternal paternal grandmother. She wrote when she was 17 years old in, in school. It was a one-room mm-hmm. schoolhouse. And it was during the time of Carrie Nation, way back then. And she... She she was so against alcohol that she wrote a whole essay mm-hmm. on what it would do to the family and picked out each of the children, not her children, but uh, a family she knew of. And so uh, none of my aunts and uncles nor my cousins, 42 of us are cousins from mm-hmm. that, smoke or drink, not even a beer. Yeah. And Don was the same way. Yeah, I always knew that, like, he, because there was never alcohol in the house, ever. Uh-uh. Ever. The only time I had alcohol in the house was when we, we hosted three people from, who were trying to understand our way of uh, doing business, mm-hmm. entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. And we had three people from Russia. <laughs> and they came, and the housewarming gift was this beautiful bottle a vodka? Um, I don't know, something. Was it clear and white? I don't know. It was in this beautiful doll. Mm-hmm. Well, I kept the doll. And I guess I was supposed to serve them the vodka, but I don't serve vodka or yeah. whatever it is. And so... <laughs> <laughs> if it came from Russia, it's probably vodka. So anyway, we did have that experience. And then one day I gave it to somebody mm-hmm. who, who said that he knew somebody that drank sparingly. Mm. <laughs> Toast and things like that. And mm-hmm. I, well, I don't really need it in my house. To give some context for this next part, she spotted squirrels in the backyard, and they commonly try to eat the siding of her house to get into her attic. And yes, if I had my gun with a silencer on it, I would put a few of these squirrels in this yard out of... Is that what you would do? Yeah. <laughs> but I need a silencer. Is that... Oh, yeah, I see all the squirrels in the yard now. Just a silencer? Well, what, what gun are you shooting that you need a silencer for? I have for? several of them. <laughs> Even though they do mess up your yard, they are definitely a vital resource. I mean, think about it. You've got pecan trees, right? No, it's not pecan trees. It's hickory. Hickory trees. And pecan trees do not produce if there aren't two of two different varieties. That's right. I had a teacher I really admired for the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. When I came back from, uh, I was first year in high school, came back from Guam. The teacher wanted us to read a book a week and write 
a report, and they'd give an oral report on that book. Mm-hmm. And what, what, like, school year were you in this? Freshman. Freshman. In high school. Okay. And so, after about two weeks of this, I realized that uh, my eyes were not all that good, but I just told her that my eyes were bad enough that I couldn't read that much. Mm-hmm. And so she said, well, if you will create a story, a true story mm-hmm. of your adventures in Japan and Hawaii and, and Guam and tell it well, you know, write it out and tell it well, that will do. So I thought, well, that's probably harder for anybody else but me, but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and I got straight A's mm-hmm. in that class. Well, that's really good. It's not that often you get a, uh, a teacher, especially like, well, I mean, at least in my college, you could because mm-hmm. it's definitely applying yourself. Um, that's really cool. I, well, I guess it's shoot these squirrels. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you, I mean, you could get away with that now. <laughs> but if you like, some people say, "I would rob a bank," or "I would," I would. Oh, no, yeah. anything you can get away with. I've done more things and been exposed to more wonderful things than most people, most whole families mm-hmm. can do in a lifetime. Well, is there any any questions you would like to ask me? Uh, it's only fair after. <laughs> well, I wonder what you really want to do the rest of your life. Oh, that's a that's a hard question. It's I think you have so many opportunities. Yes, and I don't think one thing is ever going to do it. Uh, I think screenwriting is going to be amazing. It's going to be great, and that is going to I is I guess like a, the main path. Just like what I'm doing right now. That's a little it's storytelling in a sense, but it's going off of that. Mm-hmm. And then I I don't know what else. Like I, I, I hope to share stories, messages in my life with people because I guess growing up, I grew up in this small town and it was so hard to understand who I was. There's other people like me that I guess that what I was going through as a kid was relatable because I didn't know that, uh, like, even now I'm not even in therapy. And I haven't, but I, I should have as when I was a kid. And I hope to share that experience with people. Because mm-hmm. um, if I had met someone that was like me, or at least someone going through something similar than me as a kid, whether it was my home issues or just me as a person, I I would have changed my life. I would have, it would have been, it, I wouldn't have struggled as much as I would. I would have had someone to talk to. But I guess the, the internet just wasn't there yet. And I wasn't old enough to understand that. Um, but the resources just wasn't out there. No. Right now, there there is. Um, but I still think I have something to somewhat give. Oh, definitely. So I'm hoping I can help other people out. And I just, I, I, I think I wouldn't be able to do anything if I wasn't writing stories. And you know, the thing that, that I remember, and I may remember it differently than you do, mm-hmm. is you were four or five years old. And there were two or three other boys in in the your age group mm-hmm. in, in the neighborhood. And they wanted to be the head of the gang or the head of whatever. And none of them were as qualified as you were. <laughs> <laughs> Am I ringing any bells? I don't know. It was they wanted four or five. I was at five years old or six years old. I moved to the house we were previously at, the house on that we were at before. But when I was well, then, really young, it was... The one by uh, in Chase. Okay. Near it, the church. It was when you were in your new house. Okay. Uh, and you were... I remember those boys. They were yeah. right there in the cul-de-sac. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And, but I remember your mother saying, 
that you had written a story for mm -hmm. children and that she was going to publish it. Mm -hmm. And she never did, as far as I know. I don't know. know where that story is. I used to write so many. And then up until, like, second grade, I guess just writing stories, because now I think as I'm, now I've gotten older, TV and movies, I've been able to connect with sure. just as much. Um, and it's just widely out there. And oh, it's yeah. a little bit easier to create, um, at least from where I'm at now in my life. Okay. Well, thank you so very much. You got more material than you need, but I, I that's that's the goal. That's the goal. But these were amazing, wonderful stories and great advice. And I would love to have you back on here at some point. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. So the story is far from over. I took that little journal home with my grandma's instructions and gave it to my mom. And this is what she had to say about it. Here, sit down. Ready? Mm -hmm. Do you know what that is? This is probably mine, although it could be mom and dad's because she had one too. Mm -hmm. Look. Yeah. This is the one that she said that they wrote on the sailboat together. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And you have a copy of it? No, no, no. There were a couple of different ones, I think. This is the one in the bedside table. Okay. Because I asked her um, today what, if she ever journaled. Mm hmm. And she said that she showed me her whole, like, stack of them. Yeah, when every time she went on the boat, she did one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I haven't read any of those, but she said that she asked if you knew what There's that There's another be. one that's blue. Mm hmm And then there was another she sent letters home. Letters back. Mm-hmm. From the uh -huh. boat? But they were... Because they, they went every month. No. Every, they went a month every year, right? Two months every two years. Yeah. Or so it kind yeah. of varied in there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but there's a blue one. Okay. And that Just was like that, but it's blue color. But that's the one you wrote in. Did you ever keep any of them? Is that hers or mine? I don't know. I don't know. That one's hers. I know, but she wrote one every time. Yeah. And she had a bunch of them, but this was the one that was on the Betsy table of his. Oh, okay. It's not even completely filled out. I, don't, I mean, I have to read some of them. If, you know, I can't read handwriting like that. <laughs> but, yeah. She writes funny. Yeah, I was wondering if there was a difference between the handwriting that you could see. Because this seems pretty normal. Yeah. Oh, that's hers, handwriting. Is that oh. what you're asking me? Oh, no. I just, I don't know. It says both of them, so I guess that was all hers. I never knew that Dad wrote. He did, apparently. He had his own journal, too. Okay. Yeah, every bit of this is hers. <laughs> what does it say on there? It says this book belongs to Donnelly, my precious husband. Oh. She wrote it to him. <gasps> right? Right? I don't know. Look. It says, following our retirement cruise. I hadn't read this one before. Because this, she wrote to him. Mm -hmm. This is not... Her other ones were, we are in such and such a place. Like, we're in Hopetown. This is what we did. Mm -hmm. And we're going to go to 
Green Island or we're going to go to, you know, mm -hmm. not Green. Green Island's in Santee. It's Green Turtle. Green, Green Turtle. Turtle in the Bahamas. <laughs> we're going to the Abacos. We're going to stay an X number of days. So-and-so's with us this time. She's, you know, Susan's yeah. here. She's going to be here for two weeks. David and Brenda came in or whoever was coming. And, I mean, she just wrote everything that they did. Not Wait, what? Nessus, it's, it's more of a reflection, a conversation with God and the different, and, and most of it is about God. Mm -hmm. Now, see, now this is just a reflection here. Of the trip? Nope. Oh. This one is my first big, it looks barter, and my last. What is she bartering? My guess, she was, um. This is 87. 87 is when she wrote it, because this says fresh out of the eighth grade. What? When I, which I attended on Guam. Our family moved to Union. We were traveling through Little Rock, Arkansas, and had left mother at a longtime acquaintance's home. Loray, which is her brother, who was three years old, developed a high fever with Wilberta. He met the sister. Mm -hmm. In the back seat and daddy rushing to pick up mother, I sat in the front seat holding the limp, feverish body of Loray. I knew that he had gotten sick. I knew I knew something had happened. He was a much wanted child, a son. That was a big thing because needed a son to carry on the guy's name. Mm-hmm. One of two of his generations who could carry on the guy's name, yeah. Mm -hmm. As his fever went higher, his silence was occasionally broken with the words, I see Jesus. And he made weak attempts to raise his body. I promised God if he would let my brother live, I would praise God. As long as I live. That's why she said it was bartering. Mm -hmm. My big barter and my last. We finally arrived at the hospital, a Catholic hospital, and the doctors and attendants worked with him. His fever remained critically high longer than they hoped, and the cause was never determined. I said, I knew it was a near-death experience for the brother. Wait, he survived? Mm-hmm. Wow. And I knew it was because of a very high fever. Uh -huh. And, you know, you got to think about it. This was, he was three years old. Yeah. Um, I have continued to abide by the barter, and I have made some time, made some times with the thanks and praise and sometimes from guilt. Wow. Better than barter, life and death, health, birth, and tragedy came and went. We had four children, beautiful gifts from God, and each had been blessed with unusually good health. Stephen was in the third grade and had been diagnosed as having the virus which was rampant in the community. Its symptoms were fever and vomiting, and many had problems with diarrhea. As a precaution, Dr. Charles Waters, he was my doctor, he was ours for forever, <laughs> decided to admit Stephen to the hospital. 
Stephen had had no signs to indicate appendicitis, but the doctors knew there was infection. Stephen almost died. Wow. And elected for exploratory surgery. The following day, if they could pump enough fluids into him, they suspected a rupture. I prayed for healing, but thank God for our third son, Stephen. Stephen, who was also a child of God. She just happened to give us, I think, some of the most, like, intense... This is a very small journal, too. It's only about five inches. Stephen is wow. the only child who ha whom I have given entirely to God. I felt like Samuel's mother. The mother she's referencing here is Hannah from the Bible. And Hannah prays to God for a son and says if he gives her a son, she will dedicate him to the service of him. In which he does grant her a son. I felt God saying, Stephen is my child also. I love him and I have plans for him. I'll take good care of him. I will change no plans. I will heal him. Spend next of the next 15 Days and nights with him in his hospital room. The night before the surgery, the, nose, the nurses and I kept him iced with wet towels. His fever, too, was very high, over 105 for a long time. His recovery took months. His legs were so thin when he began to walk that his joints, bones, and etc., were twice the diameter of nearly bones. As he left the hospital, the wound was open and deep enough to insert four, four fingers in, and his fever was just under 101 at discharge. Can't believe they let him go. Everyone was amazed at my physical and emotional condition. They couldn't understand the peace which radiated and of my ability to believe that healing was taking place. I am quite sure that my reflection, my relationship with God is on a better and higher plane. I thank God when I think of it out of the heart of love, thanksgiving, and praise. Dr. Waters, Ellis, Allen, all of us, after surgery, that they had done all they could. Later, each said that God's hand was an as important as theirs and had taken over after they had done all they could, all they knew to do. What was the last thing she wrote in there? Then? Wow. I remember Stephen because remember he's four years older. She said that was in third grade. So I was four. And uh, they brought him down in a wheelchair for me to see him. Because mm -hmm. I wasn't allowed in there. Mm -hmm. We have a picture of him. And when I say skin and bones, mm -hmm. he wasn't up with skin and bones. I never put together, like she put in here. About why? The, um, her brother with a high fever. Uh -huh. You know, 
and then her son with a half beard. Yeah. Never knew she made a barter with God. So there we have it. At the end, you can't barter for more time. So live it as full as you can with the people that you love. And on that note, I like to give a special thanks to my grandmother, Naomi Lowe, and my mom, Susan Thompson, for participating in this first episode. And I'd also like to thank you for listening. This is the One More Mistake podcast hosted by Elizabeth Fogner. I will see you next week.